You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. Look to the Word this morning. If you would look with me to James chapter 1, that's where we're at in your worship guide today. You have a little card. Talked about this last week, but it's called Putting Your Faith to Work. That's the title of the series. There's a little... um, reading chart on the back so you can follow along so actually you can read what we're going to talk about before we talk about it actually you could read what we're going to talk about every day before we come to Sunday and then like it's man the word is already in you right so that's what this is all about hopefully you'll you'll put that to work but today we're we're continuing our journey through the book of James as we're talking about Putting our faith to work. As we discovered last week, Christianity or following Jesus is more than just profession. It requires more than just saying the right things. It's both faith and works like partnered together. We talked about H2O, hydrogen and oxygen coming together to form water. So it should be in our faith life. Our faith in Jesus should result in works. It has to impact who we are, and how we live. Listen, if your faith in Jesus is not impacting who you are and how you live, then we got a problem. Right? We have a disconnect. We don't have authentic faith. Because authentic faith is this. It's faith in the one who was crucified and resurrected. And it's that faith then that's put to work. You know, if someone tells you they're going to do something, if they say the right things but they don't follow through, what happens? You lose confidence, right? You lose trust. Someone says they're going to do something and they don't follow through, then what do we have? We have a credibility problem. Why? Because what someone said did not line up with what they did. Their works did not match their their words. Some time ago, I was doing business with a company, a reputable company, at least I thought, right here in our community. And they, uh, as we were interacting, they had promised all of these things they were going to do to gain my business. Like, we'll do this, and we'll do this, and we'll do this. And so we engaged in a business relationship, but this became the problem. They didn't follow through with what they said they were going to do. What they said they would do, they didn't do. And today, well, there's a credibility problem. Today, I no longer do business with that company, and I wouldn't recommend that you do business with that company. I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend them to you. Why? Because what they said didn't line up with what they did. They didn't match the performance. And there's a credibility problem. It's my belief today that Christianity, what we're all a part of, Christianity is facing a credibility crisis. You know, through the years, I've had numerous conversations with individuals who've chosen to reject Jesus, not because they didn't like Jesus, but because of what they experienced through individuals who said they were followers of Jesus. Have you ever had a conversation like that with someone who's far from God, and so you're trying to, you're trying to um, witness to them, you're trying to share Jesus with them, and they're not open to the Jesus you're sharing because they experienced something that was unlike Jesus in someone else's life. Any of you ever had that experience? Like, I'm not interested in Jesus because I don't, I've experienced that. I don't, but it's, it's credibility problem. 
And that individuals who were professing faith were not living faith. They were professing Jesus, but they were not living Jesus. Therefore, individuals have this excuse, and it really comes to a credibility problem. So beyond just saying the right things, we must do the right things. Are you with me? Beyond saying the right things, we must do the right things. We must give proof of our faith by, the action, by our actions to a watching world. Because what the world needs to see and experience is people who love Jesus, who are actively living out their faith, who are putting their faith to work. It was interesting, in Luke chapter 3, we have uh, some scripture that speaks of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. He prepared the way for Jesus. And the scripture in Luke 3 tells us that John was preaching this message of repentance and that there was this large crowd of people that had gathered to hear John. They were captivated by what he was saying. And this is what John said. Luke chapter 3 says, you need to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Think about that. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The crowd asked him, what should we do? Or, or maybe we could say it like this. How should we put our faith to work? And I want you to listen to how John answered their question. He said, the man who has two coats should share with the one who has none. And the one who has food should do the same. In other words, he was saying that, hey, you should live out mercy and generosity. Then the tax collectors who had repented asked, well, watch, John, what should we do? What does it look like to put our faith to work? And John said to the tax collector, don't, don't collect any more than is required. But he was telling them to be fair and live justly. Some of the Roman soldiers who had repented asked John, well, what should we do? And John said, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. He was telling them to be truthful, to honor others. In all of this, John was saying this, that we have to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, it's not enough just to repent. Repentance is the starting point that should lead to a changed life. Repentance is the starting place that should lead to a change in how we live life. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before men. Get this, that they may see your good deeds, that your good deeds may be evident, that they would see the reality of your faith being lived out, and in that, they would glorify the Father by what they see, what they experience, by seeing, again, faith, faith put to work. And what Jesus is telling us here is that we don't want a faith that's just heard or spoken, but a faith that's revealed or proved by our works. It's what I call faith on the ground. Now, you and I should be living as followers of Jesus. If you would self-identify, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, then what should be evident in our lives is faith on the ground. And James talks about that here as we get into the latter part of chapter 1. He, he kind of reveals for us what faith on the ground looks like. And that's what we want to talk about this morning, James chapter 1, verse 19. The first point of insight that, Jane, that James gives us here, I believe, is a relationship changer. If you can take this one principle, like if you get nothing else from what I say this morning, hang out on this first principle. Because this first principle, if you put it to work as you're living out your faith, listen, it can transform your marriage. 
It can transform your family dynamics. It can transform your work relationships and every other relationship you have. And I'm not exaggerating this. This one principle has the power to change your relationships and to change how you relate with one another. It can even enable you to have difficult conversations about volatile topics and actually move toward unity rather than division. How many of you know there's some volatile topics right now we could talk about? We could talk about mask or unmask. I've had some conversations about that this week. I received some emails about that this week. We could talk about vaccinated or unvaccinated. How many of you know that's a hot topic? A lot of conversation been happening around that. A lot of different perspective and opinion. We could talk about um, we could talk about critical race theory. There's a hot topic. So many different perspectives and opinions about critical race theory. These are, are, are volatile topics. There's, there's ethnic discrimination and the problem that it creates. Again, variety of perspectives. And oftentimes, these conversations become unhealthy. I can say that for myself. In relation to those four areas I've just mentioned in the past couple months, I can't say I've always been in a positive conversation about one of those topics. It's difficult. So how can we maintain healthy relationships? How can we move toward unity instead of division? I think James gives us some insight here as we're looking at what does faith on the ground look like? Because again, from the beginning of time, listen, there's been different opinions, different perspectives, and we all see things differently. So how can we engage in healthy relationship? Listen, it's not okay just to discard relationship. Are you with me? It's not okay just to discard marriage. Like uh, uh, This is not going to work. We're just, just going to go our separate ways. Not okay to diss people in the body of Christ. It's not okay just to say, well, I'm not going to talk with you anymore. Obviously, there's a lot you don't know. Meaning what? But there's a lot I know, but there's a lot you don't know. Obviously, you need to get educated. We, we don't have the right to do that. And again, say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. No, like those two don't, they, they don't connect. So James gives us, I think, some great insight in verse 19. Here's the insight that he gives us. Let me give you the point and then we'll get to the, the text. Here's the principle. We want to listen to learn and speak to build others. Can we say that together? Listen to learn and speak to build others. This is what I'm confident of. Many of our marriage fights, for the married couples here this morning, do any of you have fights besides my wife and myself? Okay. In many of your marriage fights, your family squabbles and your workplace tensions, even in church struggles, I believe they can be resolved if we would listen to learn and speak to build others. Sounds so simple, doesn't it? How do you think that might transform your marriage if you would say, I'm going I'm to make every effort to listen to my mate? There's one thing my wife says to me all the time. She says, you're not listening. You know, I'm, I'm doing three other things. You're not listening. Y- y- yes, I'm listening. What did I say? I don't know what you said because <laughs> I wasn't listening. Right? 
Come on, men. Any, any of you in the same boat with me? Listen to learn. Speak to build others. Uh, let's look at what James has to say here. James chapter 1, verse 19. says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Can I tell you what happens is we get this verse all mixed up. It's like we have the right words, but the words are not in right order. Right? We're quick to speak, slow to listen, and quick to become angry. Say amen or oh me. We're quick to speak. Listen, this is what creates most of my problems, and it may be true for you. I engage my mouth before I engage my brain. Right? Yeah, I, I don't have them this morning because wearing masks make it difficult. But a couple of weeks ago, I got some new hearing devices. It was interesting. The other night, my wife and I went to a, a gentleman's birthday who was 90 years of age. So you can imagine all of his friends who were there were like 80 years or older. And I'm looking around there, and there's probably, I don't know, 80 people in the room. I'm looking around there, and I elbow my wife. I said, listen, I got something in common with all of these people in the room. We all have hearing aids. Well, I learned something when I went to get hearing aids. I don't know why this had never kind of got into my brain. But the, the lady who was helping me with these hearing devices says, you don't hear with your ears. I always thought you heard with your ears. You got those three little bones in your ear, right? You remember that from school? Tiniest bones in your body, where? In your ear. I always thought, well, you hear with your ear. No, you hear with your brain. And the problem for most of us is we engage that big fat mouth before we engage our brain. And when those words get out, we can't get them back. And it's those words that become at times damaging, divisive. Now, I believe that many of the conflicts that lead to division are the result of short tempers and hasty words. Listen, there's a reason that we have two ears and one mouth. By God's design, right? Two ears, one mouth, should, which should remind us to listen more than we speak. As we train ourselves to listen well, then we can speak words that help build others up. Words that help resolve conflict rather than just fuel conflict. Going back to those volatile topics I mentioned earlier, I just mentioned four. If we had time, we could... We can unpack some more. But can I tell you that today the church has become a very volatile place. I'm not talking about the world. So now we're talking about the church. The church has become very volatile because we're not listening well. We're just speaking a lot. And because we're not listening well, we're not hearing well, and we don't know how to respond well, therefore, oftentimes, we play into the division. We play into the problem rather than being a part of the solution to the problem. All because we're not listening well. Recently, I, I was engaged in a conversation about one of these present hot topics of our, of our day, and, and it was at a, a lunch meeting, and Rather than defending my position, I decided I'm, I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen. I'm really going to listen to what this gentleman has to say. And as I really listen, it's amazing what I learn. 
And as I walked away from that meeting, I walked away with actually a different perspective that led to a change of action simply because I chose to listen rather than just talk. I chose to listen rather than just defend, rather than just defend my position. What did it do? It created a positive outcome. A positive outcome. See, what we all know this morning is that words have power to build or destroy. Are you, are you with me? Like words can help or words can hurt, right? Words can injure or, or words can heal. And it's been my experience that I most often misuse words when I'm not listening well. Say it again, because it might be true for you. My experience that I most often misuse words that injure my wife because I'm not listening well. I haven't disciplined myself. Engaged the mouth too quick. So what we have to train ourselves, we have to train ourselves to listen well, to ask questions to gain understanding. Listening, listening is a skill to be developed. I would say again today, across the board, we're all really poor listeners. But we have to train ourselves. It's a skill to be developed. So work at being present. Listen to learn and focus on compassion. Being present means this. I'm fully engaged. I invite you, if you're ever engaging in a conversation with me and I'm playing on my phone while you're talking to me, I, I invite you to correct me. But we need to be fully present. We need to be fully present, engaged in the conversation. We need, to, uh, we need to listen to learn, which means this. I'm not listening to defend my position. How many of you know we can be guilty of that? When someone's talking, we're thinking, right? Brain's working, but we're working on what we're going to say to defend what we think. And in that, I would say you're not really listening. You're only thinking to defend what you already think you know. And I think also we need to focus on compassion. This means that as, as we've listen, we listen well so we can speak words that help not hurt, words that resolve a potential difficult situation rather than just create further strife and division. So faith on the ground means we, we work at developing and maintaining healthy relationships at every level. That's what faith on the ground looks like. At the marriage level, at the work level, at the church level, in the community. Listen, there's going to be difference of opinion, right? In a gathering this large, how many of you know we have a few different perspectives, right? And not only that, this is what I can guarantee you. If you have relationship, you're going to have conflict, right? It, it happens. But this is what I know if we'll take this verse here in 19, and if we will train ourselves to listen well and to speak words that build others, and it doesn't mean we're always going to agree, but it does mean that we can agree to disagree respectfully. It does mean that we can honor others even in our different perspectives. It means this, it means we can have unity even in the midst of the diversity of our thought process. If... We'll listen well and speak. Speak to build others up. That's what faith on the ground looks like. 
A second principle of faith on the ground is this. Allow God's word to shape who you are and how you live. Allow God's word to shape who you are and how you live. It's a story of two men who were having a conversation. One of the men said, hey, you know, right on the top of my bucket list is I want to go to the Holy Land. I want to climb to the top of Mount Sinai. I want to take the Ten Commandments and I want to declare them loudly. The other man said, why don't you just stay home and live them? That's a concept, right? To allow God's word to shape who you are and how you live. Listen, the Bible, this book is more than a book to read. It's a book to live. In other words, what we want the words on these pages that are life-giving and life-transforming to get off the page and to get into your life. That's what faith on the ground looks like. Now, this is not just a book that we talk about. This is not just a book that, that I preach sermons from. But this is a book that begins to shape how I think and how I live. Listen to what James has to say. Look with me to verse 22. James says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Catch this next line. Do what it says. In other words... Allow it to shape, to shape your life. He goes on to say, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, notice James says, they will be blessed in what they do. Blessed in what they do. So faith on the ground means we're not just reading God's word, but we're, we're taking his word, we're, we're working it into our lives so that it shapes how we do life. It shapes how we treat others. So if you want to know how you should treat others, then this book gives you insight on how you should relate to others. If you want to know how you should handle money, how many of you know money is a, is a neutral tool that can be used for good or bad. You want to use money in a way that's beneficial to you? And God's Word gives you some insight about that. Want to know how you respond to crisis and challenge? And God's Word gives you some insight into like how do you really navigate how you navigate life. Now James gives us this illustration here of someone who looks in a mirror they see a reflection of themselves, they turn and they walk away, and they forget what they look like. James says, don't do that with God's Word. You know, don't go to God's Word, look at it and read it, then put it back on the shelf and forget what it says. Faith on the ground means what? It means that we're all in process. Can we agree with that? We're all in process. And in that process, what we're taking God's word and we're allowing it to shape how we think, how we live, how we process. It's not, it's not information that brings transformation. It's not me just giving you a bunch of facts. It's the application of the information that brings the transformation. 
It's applying God's word in our lives and and to our lives. Her faith on the ground looks like what? It looks like we're, we're making every effort to allow God's word to shape who we are and how we live. That this book is not just something that sits on the coffee table. I don't know what, what your growing up years was like, but in our home, obviously my dad being a pastor, we, we were, you know, we were all about church. We were all about, you know, honoring God. But I remember as a kid growing up, there was this large white Bible. I mean, it was like, I'm, I'm not kidding, it was like, it was like this, and it was like this thick, and it sat on the coffee table. We never used it. That's where we, filed all the important papers. But we never, there were other Bibles, obviously, that we used. But there was that big, I remember, I have a picture in my, it was a big white Bible, it said Holy Bible. And it sat right in the middle of the coffee table. It looked good. Maybe you have one of those in your home. And this is what I would tell you today. Living out the faith, faith on the ground means this, that the Bible gets off of the coffee table and it gets into your life. That it gets off of the shelf and that you become a student of God's word, not so you can have more facts, but you become a student of God's word so that God's word begins to shape your living thinking process. That, friends, is what faith on the ground looks like. James says, don't just, don't just listen to the word and do it. Now, don't just come and hear another sermon. Listen, here's the reality. Most of you have heard way too many sermons, Right? And I'm, I'm giving you one more today. What do you need? Another sermon, right? It's not like you need like more Bibles. You're, most of you are probably like me. I haven't counted recently, but the last time I counted, I had over 20 Bibles. In my office, office at home, in our home. It's, it's not that we don't have enough Bibles. That's not the problem, friends. The problem is, is oftentimes... It's not, it's the, often the problem is that God's word's not got into our lives. So he said, don't just, don't just listen to the word and so deceive yourself. He says, no, put it to work. Faith, faith on the ground. Here's the third principle that, that James gives us about faith on the ground. He says we should be proactive in caring for the marginalized and disadvantaged. So more than just attending a church service and doing church, we should choose to be the church. Be the church. Reaching out in love, helping those in need. Being a Christ follower is not so much about right liturgy as it is love and action. Serving the marginalized and disadvantaged. I want you to listen to what William Barclay, great commentator, wrote these words. He says, all through history... Men have tried to make ritual and liturgy a substitute for sacrifice and service. Ritual and liturgy. So that what, what we experienced this morning, we experienced ritual and liturgy. There's some songs that we sung. There were some prayers that we offered. What's that? It's ritual and liturgy. So we make, and here's the challenge, he says, we can make that a substitute for sacrifice and service. He goes on to say they've made religion splendid within the church at the expense of neglecting it outside the church. And friends, we don't want to do that. Faith on the ground means this, that we're reaching out, we're reaching out to help. 
We're reaching out to help those in need. Look back to verse 27. James goes on to say, Religion that God our Father accepts, that He applauds, as pure and faultless as this. So He's telling us what it looks like. He's telling us exactly what faith on the ground looks like. Now as He goes on to say, it's to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So what does faith on the ground look like? What does it look like as we're truly taking the faith we profess and fleshing it out? It means that we, we care for the marginalized. We move. We take action. We move to help those who are disadvantaged. Specifically, James says, the orphan and the widow is one of the ministries we have here at Grace Covenants, the Father's Heart. We call it the Father's Heart. It's a ministry about foster care and adoption. Because this is what I believe, friends. I believe the heart of the Father is for children. I believe that every child deserves a place where they're loved, nurtured, and cared for. Can I get an amen on that? And for that to happen, this is what I'm confident of. The church has to put our faith to work. Because there's a lot of kids in crisis today. A lot of kids experiencing things that they should never experience. And here's my question. Who's going to stand up? Who's going to show up? James says that's what faith looks like. That we step into those places of pain and into those places of crisis and into those places of need. And we bring Jesus into the equation. Care for the orphan. Father's heart. And then there's a, another ministry we have, S1A, Serve One Another. It's a group of men who simply take skills and abilities using their hands to help individuals in need, specifically widows. Everything from, I think the last thing they did was they, they put a new microwave in someone's home. They build, a, they build ramps. They do all kinds of things. Why? Because putting our faith to action looks like this. We help the marginalized and the disadvantaged. We help the orphans and the widows. Listen, it's not okay just to say, hey, it's the government's problem. How many of you know, that's way too easy. That was never God's plan. What was God's plan? God's plan is this, is that you and I who are followers of Jesus, would step up and step into situations to bring help and hope. That's what faith on the ground looks like. And we care for the, for, for the disadvantaged, for the marginalized. Quickly, because I'm out of time, here's the last principle that James gives us. Not only does pure religion look like this, caring for the orphans and widows, but notice the last part of verse 27. James says it also looks like this. We keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. I think we could say it like this. We guard ourselves from the trash of the world. Let me know there's a little trash in the world. It's not just down at the dump. Some trash in our world. If you were preparing a meal for your family, you wouldn't go dig through the trash can to see, hey, let's see what we can get to kind of bring into the kitchen for dinner. You wouldn't do that, would you? If someone was coming and dumping trash in your front yard, you wouldn't just sit back and say, hey, bring some more. No, what? 
you would, you would, like, you'd be out there having a conversation with them. Like, why are you dumping trash in my front yard? I'm going to call 911. You can't bring any more trash to my yard, right? In the same fashion, James would say, we need to keep ourselves from the trash of the world. In other words, we need to guard our minds, guard our heart. Guard our minds from what we read. Guard our minds from what we view. Internet. The TV. To guard our minds and our hearts and conversations that we have. James says, listen, don't, don't allow the trash of the world to get into your life. See, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world means to avoid thinking and acting in accordance with the value system of, of, of the society around us. Although we live in the world, we're not to be of the world. I'm reminded of what Paul wrote in Romans 12 too. He says, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So this is what I know today. We live in a world where if you're not careful, a lot of trash is going to get dumped into your mind. And when trash gets dumped into your mind, hear me, it affects how you behave. It affects how you relate. Listen, don't think you can go view hours of pornography and not detrimentally affect your marriage relationship. You can't do it. You can't allow the trash to get into the mind because when the trash gets in the mind, it then begins to detrimentally affect your behavior. So now you're not living out Jesus. Why? You allowed the wrong stuff to get into your mind. James would say faith on the ground means, means this, that we guard ourselves from the trash of the world. So how, how can we do that? I think we guard ourselves from the influence of the world first by passionately pursuing Jesus. I say it like this. If you do the do's, you don't have to worry about the don'ts. Really simple. That one phrase has helped me out throughout my life. I learned it early, and I'm still living it today. If I do the do's... I don't have to worry about the don'ts. So what am I doing? Every day I'm passionately pursuing Jesus. I'm living on the offensive side. I I think secondly, how do we guard our minds? We're guided by God's word. Psalms 119 verse 9 asks this question. How can a young man keep his way pure? Goes on to answer that question by living according to your word. Verse 11 says, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. But God's word helps us, helps us guard our mind. And then I think a third, a third way that we can guard our minds is being led by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you have the third person of the Trinity in you. So you have a coach, you have a helper. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says, Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Or we might say it like this, Be led by the Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide you. Folks, the reality is is we're processing life in the midst of a messed up world. Would you agree with that? A messed up world. There's pollution. 
It's everywhere. Trash in our world. So listen, we have to be proactive in guarding our mind and our heart. Listen, don't just lackadaisically go through life. No, listen, you have to guard your mind. Be tenacious in that. Guard your heart. Faith on the ground is guarding your life from the trash of the world. What we've discovered this morning is that faith on the ground is more than believing. It's living out the very faith we profess. It's allowing the presence of Jesus in our life to shape how we do life. Faith on the ground. So we want to listen. We want to listen to learn and speak to build others. How many of you would say you need to work on that? Yeah. We want to allow God's word to shape who we are and how we live. More than a book we read, we need the Bible to shape who we are. We want to be proactive and caring for the marginalized and disadvantaged. Here's a question. Who can you help today? Because that's what faith on the ground looks like. And we want to guard ourselves from the trash of the world. That means we have to be alert. What I know this morning is we need help. We need help putting our faith to work. We need help as we have faith at work on the ground. Do you agree with that this morning? So let's pray about it. Lord, thank you for your word that so challenges us, directs us, corrects us. Lord, this morning as we've been talking about faith on the ground, Lord, we don't want to be those who just make great statements, but there's no action in our lives. God, we want to be those who are taking our faith and putting it to work in our marriages, in our families, in our workplace, in our schools, in our communities. Holy Spirit, what I know is we need help. Lord, just starting with this first principle, to listen, to learn, and speak to build others up. God, I just believe that could change marriages today, change family dynamics today. Holy Spirit, help us. Discipline ourselves to train ourselves to listen well. To listen to learn. And then to speak words that are life-giving. That doesn't mean we we can't bring truth into a conversation. But Holy Spirit, help us to speak truth in love. Holy Spirit, help us to take this word that's alive and life-given and really integrate it into our lives. Holy Spirit, help us to move to move toward those who are marginalized, disadvantaged. Because in that, in that, God, we're, we're living out our faith. We're honoring you. Then, Holy Spirit, help us guard ourselves from the trash of the world. Help us to be alert, to guard our, our eyes, our minds, what we see, what we hear the conversations we're engaged in, that we might honor you in our lives and with our lives, that we might put our faith to work. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.